April 14th. And we turn our attention now to the New Testament. Today, we'll be reading in the book of Luke, and some of the things we'll be learning about is the fact that we can let money be our God. The rich man did not go to Hades because he was rich. No, he went there because riches were his God. And that's always with a little G. Abraham was a wealthy man, and yet he was in paradise. The money can help send people to heaven, or it can help send people to hell. And then as we get on into Luke chapter 17, we'll learn that faith is like a seed. It seems small and weak, but it has life in it. And if it's cultivated, it will grow and release power. And with that, we begin today's reading from the New Testament. April 14th, Luke chapter 16, verse 19, through chapter 17, verse 10. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed and who lived each day in luxury. At his door lay a diseased beggar named Lazarus. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Lazarus in the far distance with Abraham. The rich man shouted, "'Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tongue of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in anguish in these flames.' But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. Anyone who wanted to cross over to you from here is stopped at its edge, and no one there can cross over to us. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them about this place of torment, so they won't have to come here when they die. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read their writings any time they want to. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead— Then they will turn from their sins. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. One day Jesus said to his disciples, There will always be temptations to sin, but how terrible it will be for the person who does the tempting. It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around the neck than to face the punishment in store for harming one of these little ones. I am warning you, if another believer sins, rebuke him. Then if he repents, forgive him. Even if he wrongs you seven times a day, and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, forgive him. One day the apostles said to the Lord, We need more faith. Tell us how to get it. Even if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, the Lord answered, You could say to this mulberry tree, May God uproot you and throw you into the sea, and it would obey you. 
When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, he doesn't just sit down and eat. He must first prepare his master's meal and serve him his supper before eating his own. And the servant is not even thanked because he is merely doing what he is supposed to do. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, We are not worthy of praise. We are servants who have simply done our duty. Today we're reading Psalm 83. And in this psalm, Asaph was perplexed. Israel was in danger, but God was silent and inactive. The enemy wanted to destroy the nation, and apparently God was going to let them do it. So Asaph prayed and reminded God of what he did to Israel's enemies during the days of the judges. It was not important that Israel's name be preserved, but it was important that God's name be glorified. See, when it seems that God is saying and doing nothing, rest assured that He is working on your behalf. He is not as noisy, not nearly as noisy as the enemy, but He is infinitely more powerful and he will win. Why does Jesus hang out with bad people? This was a question asked of Jesus by the Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders of Jesus' day, who couldn't fathom or understand why a man who claimed to be the Messiah would hang out with such notoriously bad people. In response to this significant question, Jesus tells three stories, three stories to explain why God hangs out with bad people. In the third and final story, Jesus tells about a a father with two sons. The youngest of the two sons approaches his father and says, Dad, look, I, I, I want my money now. I want my inheritance today. The father, in his mercy and in his goodness, he said, if that's what you really want, son, I'll give it to you. So it gives him his entire inheritance there, right then, that day. And as Jesus tells the story, the, the younger son, he travels to a distant country and there lives a wild life, uh, parties and girls and just, just living it up until finally the bottom falls out. He's got no more money left in his bank account. His uh, supposed friends have evaporated. They're all gone and he's in a pretty low place. The economy falls flat. And uh, he can't even find a job. In fact, the only job he finds is uh, feeding pigs. Evidently, when he gets hired for the job, his employer says, Look, um, you can feed the pigs, but uh, you're not even allowed to eat the pig food. But as it would have it, uh, he gets so low and so desperate while he's feeding the pigs, literally this pig slop starts to look appealing to this young man. It's at that point Jesus tells the story and says this son, he comes to himself and he realizes, well, what am I doing? He thinks uh, even the employees that work for my dad at the home I was raised in, even they have it better than this. And he, he starts to plot his way home. He thinks I can't come home empty handed. So he prepares a speech. I'm sure there were multiple drafts made that day as he's trying to prepare a speech that would well, it would really work to wiggle his way back into dad's good graces. So he finally pulls himself together and begins what was probably a long journey home. 
when he maybe crests the hill, as it were, and sees the homestead, the place that he was raised, Jesus tells the story that the father was there. The father saw him. Evidently, the father had been looking for the boy day after day after day. When the father saw him, he did something extraordinary. He gathered up his long robe in those days. The men wore robes and he ran towards his boy. Of course, in Jesus' day and in Jesus' time, uh, men didn't run in that culture. It would have been seen as inappropriate, uh, uncool, really. So no doubt when Jesus is telling this story to explain why he hangs out with bad people and he's telling about this father who ran, the people listening must have sucked air at the concept that uh, a proper uh, Middle Eastern man would would actually run. What, What passion is this? What kind of love does this father possess for his son? A son who is so wayward, a son who's wasteful, a a son who is extraordinarily selfish, and yet the father, uh, so full of compassion and love and mercy, runs towards his boy. Jesus tells the story, he, he embraces his son, he hugs him, and he's kissing him, and the younger son, he's, he's, he's trying to get his speech out, his explanation, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm not worthy to be your son, but it's as if the father ignores it. Mid-speech, he turns to his employees, his servants, and he says, get new clothes for my boy, get jewelry, get a ring for him, get him sandals, and let's have steak. Let's get out the, 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 the best drinks. We're going to throw a party. My son was lost, and, and now he's, he's found. This, uh, this is a scandalous story told by Jesus. This boy This is the last thing he deserves, is new clothes, uh, a ring, a party, uh, new shoes. It's as if he's being rewarded. And yet, for what? He's lived lived a a horrible life in this season. He's he's wasted all of his father's hard-earned money, and yet the father seems so welcoming and so inviting and so loving. This is an explanation by God, by Jesus, of why he hangs out with bad people. It's extraordinary. Jesus is saying very overtly and very clearly to us in what we know now as Luke's gospel, chapter 15. He's telling us, uh, I hang out with sinners because uh, I am that father. That's me. That's the kind of love I have for those who are wasting their life, serving themselves, who are lost and searching and broken. I, I'm anticipating a reunion with them. I'm anticipating them to come to me and, and uh, I will welcome them. I love them. Uh, it's the only explanation we have. Why would a holy, righteous, just, perfect God hang with people like me or people like you? There's only one answer, love, extraordinary love, love that we are completely unfamiliar with, love on a level that is beyond time and space, beyond the kind of love we experience here between human beings. This is divine love. And this is the love that is towards you today. This is the love that is towards me. Um, hard to comprehend, and I suppose hard to accept at times. 
Um, I don't know exactly the situation that you find yourself in, but I certainly can speak for myself. Uh, I am that wayward son. I have wasted a lot of time and a lot of resource and a lot of energy serving myself and doing what I want. And when considering really knowing a God and a creator who is undoubtedly just and perfect, I think, well, well, I've got to get myself together. I've got to put my ducks in a row, so to speak. I need to cross my T's and dot my I's to kind of make a proper return or reunion or even approach such a divine being. And yet Jesus, who is God, comes to tell us the good news, that God wants us just the way we are, that he has made provision. Psalm 83, verses 1 through 18, a psalm of Asaph, a song. O God, don't sit idly by, silent and inactive. Don't you hear the tumult of your enemies? Don't you see what your arrogant enemies are doing? They devise crafty schemes against your people, laying plans against your precious ones. Come, they say, let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of its existence. This was their unanimous decision. They signed a treaty as allies against you, these Edomites and Ishmaelites, Moabites and Hagrites, Jebelites, Ammonites, and Amalekites, and people from Philistia and Tyre. Assyria has joined them too, and is allied with the descendants of Lot. Do to them as you did to the Midianites, or as you did to Sisera and Jeben at the Kishon River. They were destroyed at Endor, and their decaying corpses fertilized the soil. Let their mighty nobles die, as Oreb and Zeb did. Let all their princes die, like Zeba and Zalmunna, for they said, Let us seize for our own use these pasture lands of God. O oh my God, blow them away like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire roars through a forest, and as a flame sets mountains ablaze. Chase them with your fierce storms, terrify them with your tempests, utterly disgrace them until they submit to your name, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and terrified forever. Make them failures in everything they do, until they learn that you alone are called the Lord, that you alone are the Most High, supreme over all the earth. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper and be satisfied.